Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. We are um, going to turn to John chapter 15. So please take your Bibles and go with me there. We're going to start. If you're visiting here live today, we welcome you. If you're visiting us live stream, uh, again, we welcome you. We're so thrilled that you're with us. Uh, we just want to be able to recognize our extended family who is probably in the luxury of your living room are able to join us. And so we're thrilled that you can do that. So we're going to John chapter 15, and not First John, but the Gospel of John, chapter 15, and we're going to be reading the first eight verses, so if you have it, if you don't, we can see it up here, just follow along as I read this together this morning, starting at verse 1. Jesus is speaking, he says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you... You will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Can we just read verse 8 together? Can we do that with one voice? Just uh, with one voice. Let's say it together. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Father, we just desire to do exactly that. That's it. Lord, that's our desire. It's your desire. You said this is for your Father's glory, that we would bear much fruit. We would bear much fruit. Show us what that means this morning, we ask, in your powerful name. Amen. Amen. I was uh, on the National Post this morning uh, on my phone, uh, and this is, you're not going to get a more recent statistic than this one. This came out today from National Post, uh, October 18th, regarding how seven months into the pandemic, how it has played on our emotions and psychic. National Post. According to CAMH's ongoing national survey, 24% of women are experiencing higher levels of anxiety than men, which at 18%. Parents with children under 18 living at home are more likely to say they're feeling depressed, 90 or 29%. Compared to adults without children or without kids in this age group, it's 19%. One quarter of both men and women worry about getting COVID-19. While worrying, 29% of men, 23% of women are engaged in heavy, episodic drinking. I'm going to read that again. While worrying, 29% of men, 23% of women are engaging in heavy, episodic drinking. 
more than 200 days into the pandemic now, were emotionally exhausted. According to the latest report from the Mental Health Index, based on an online survey of 3,000 people in late August before the second surge. So this, is, this takes a whole new life into the second surge. This is actually before the second surge. Here's what they found. 3,000 in the survey before, this is before the end of August. We're less motivated at work. We're struggling to concentrate. Worries over job security and dwindling emergency savings and juggling multiple mental health and situational distractions on top of work is draining. From the Angus Reid comes the finding that the percentage of Canadians who could be categorized as, quote, the desolate, unquote, the desolate, those suffering, in other words, those suffering from both loneliness and social isolation has increased from 23%, which is basically one in four, to 33%, one in three. Now that's, that last stats is prior, kids going back to school, that is brought, prior, now nursing homes are on the increase, prior uh, going back to stage two, which we are now in stage two again. So that, you know, I'm sure a month or two from now when they get the stats out for this period of time, the stats will be just that much clearer. Here's the point. There's more than what meets the eye, what goes on with what's taking place inside of us. Now, we know that. This is not going to, you're not going, wow, I got to write this down. I didn't know that. We know that. They're just now starting to try to figure out how do you tabulate this? How do you actually start to chart this to see how much of this is affecting us? And it affects us greatly. Uh, I, I honestly believe it'll be years before we can truly get a real good indicator on a lot of what's going on because this is unnatural. But having said that, that doesn't mean we go out and start hugging each other and rip our masks off and start partying together. What it does mean is we need to be very conscious of how we're doing. And we need to, as, as followers of Christ, and, and I'm addressing that today, that you need to meet, be more vigilant in some of the spiritual disciplines that maybe you've ever been because there are things taking place that are causing what we just talked about here. These are, these are symptoms. But the core of what's actually happening is taking place because we are not meant to be in isolation, because we're not meant to be distant, and we're not meant to have this level of fear knocked up two or three notches, which has been knocked up for all of us, two or three notches. That when you're with people, instead of just going and greeting them and handshaking and hugging and talking to them and getting in close, we're pushing back. Dare you touch somebody? Should you touch the railing? Should you touch the door handle? Should you touch that? Should you touch this? Should, do you bother going in? And I can't tell you, my number one problem, my number one problem is communication. Is I can't tell you how many communications I just bail out of because I can't understand what the person's saying because it's not coming across. And so I bail out of the communication, and I hate that. I, I don't use the word hate very much. I hate it. I hate it because I can't hear what they're saying. And I dare say they can't hear what I'm saying. And so I quit. I quit trying. I quit trying to communicate. And communication is tough to start with at the best of times. Let alone when we can't. And so we pull away. Don't know really what they're saying. I don't know what they're trying to say. And they give up. They're exasperated. I give up trying to say. Things I would normally just loose talk and casual conversations. I quit. You know what it's like. You do it too. 
Or if you don't, then it's, an ex- it's a whole exercise in exasperation of going, huh? Or you pretend you hear and you go like that, but you have no idea what they're saying. Which is better. So, today the, the topic, we're doing life together. And, and it's, it's not a play on words, it really is. We got to do life together. And those three words are so key. It's not about thinking about life. It's not about praying about life. It's not about good intentions of life. We've got to figure out how to do it. Life. We only got so many years of it. And then it's over. Life. We've got to do life, not separately. We've got to figure out how to do it together. And that's just not just a pandemic message. This is life. And I think this more than ever, there's some powerful lessons we can grab. The Holy Spirit is not a... God is not wringing his celestial hands over what's taking place. He's not going, <gasps> COVID caught me off guard. Not at all. I believe he is granting a way of escape where there is, there is blessing if we would hear what he is saying. So we're trying to do that. We're trying to lean in. And this particular text today is, I believe, one of them. It's a farmer's text. So today, you're going to have some lessons from the son of a farmer. That's me. I'm a son of a farmer. So I'm going to stand up proud. Son of a farmer. Okay. 27 years, uh, I was able to observe my father on a farm. It was on a dairy farm. We had the Jersey cows. Uh, what are Jersey cows? They're the good-looking cows. They're the brown ones. They don't have black on them. They don't have white stripes. They got maybe some black on them, maybe. But they're brown. And they're the most temperamental little beasts you've ever seen. They look like they are cute and cuddly, but they are the most ornery little things. They're the smallest of all the, of all the cattle in the dairy production. <laughs> but, but it's been known they are the most high-wired. And so we were on a farm with Jersey Farm, Dairy Farm. Uh, we farmed it. That's all I knew for the first 27 years of my life. Uh, really 21 years. Then I went off to Bible college, got married, into ministry. So for 21 years, I spent a lot of time on the dairy farm, and then the farm was sold out after 27 years. I want to share some lessons learned from the son of a dairy farmer. So I can't say I'm a dairy, I can't say I'm a farmer because I wasn't, but um, I observed a number of things because this passage today that we just read in John 15 is a farming type of passage, and our focus today is growing to be like Christ. It's the third part of the series, and encourage you, those online, go listen to previous messages. I've been, we're, we're building on this, we're building on this. Each one is tagged to each other. And there are two attachments on the website so that you might be able to, in a community, and I encourage you, a community is two or more, in a community of people, it could be at work, it could be neighbors, it could be family, but whatever the community is, I've given you questions that you can just dialogue through the things we're talking about taken from John chapter 15. If your community might be, the community might be some some seekers, they're, they're not followers of Jesus. They're, they're just people that maybe you work with, people that you hang out with, that you do sports with or something. Uh, then I've actually got a separate, separate questionnaire that is, is not uh, evasive regarding um, a lot of the scriptures, but just are more uh, seeker-friendly so that you can dialogue around this. That's available on the website. You can download that. I encourage. Here's our goal. This is a goal. That each one reach one in 2021. That we're going to reach people. We're going to be in a community 100%. All of us. All of us are going to be somehow dialoguing 
with the things we're talking about. So I give this today, then this spills out throughout the week. Wednesday morning, women coming here, they're talking about this. Wednesday night, I'm meeting, we're talking about this. Small groups, we're talking about this. Everything flows out of this. So let's start in. Lessons from the son of a farmer. First of all, I want to talk about the thing about farmers. Farmers are known, they are notorious for peaking. Farmers like to peak, and I don't mean in a disgusting way. Farmers like to peak. I still see my father walking through his cornfield, peeking at his crop. And they're notorious for it. And as a matter of fact, it's good that they do this. Farmers are notorious for peaking. So when the crop is just, you know, maybe a few inches above the ground, one of the things we grew by and large because it was a dairy farm, corn and grain. So the corn, we had a lot of corn. So when the corn would break a few inches above the ground, my dad would be out in the field and he would be checking to see what it needs. Is it being smothered out by weeds? He needs to know that. Is it insecticide? Does he need to apply it? Does he need to do just uh, some care or does it need to be watered? He needs to check to see how's it doing because what he's about to do is based on peaking. He has to peak. He can't just guess at it. He can't say, well, here's what I did last year. I'm going to do the same this year. He's got to observe his crop. And when it gets a little higher, maybe a foot, two feet, he's out there checking it again. When it gets to be about higher, the corn, he's out there, he's looking at how is it developing. You see, the corn is all about the fruit. It's not about how good it looks. It doesn't matter if the stalks have more tassels at the top or they just have, you know, luscious leaves flowing from them. That means nothing. What is significant is are those corn stalks producing the fruit they were intended to produce. And then he will apply what it needs to make sure they are, to bring out the best in them. And sometimes that is aggressive. Now, might I say, let's go to John 15. You see, the gardener understands the crop better than the crop understands the crop. You see, the stalks don't understand what they need. They just grow based on their environment. But it's the gardener who looks after them. The gardener goes after the fruit. Left to ourselves and left to the stalks, similar to what it's on a farm, they can't self-sustain themselves. They need someone to care. They need someone to plant, someone to nurture, someone to bring them to their best, to their absolute best. Likewise, you and I, we think we know what will bring out the best. We probably don't. We need our gardener. It's good that he is watching us. Don't run from his ever-observant eyes. Don't be like Jonah who thinks he can go to the other end of the earth and escape the Father's eyes. Be thankful God is watching every single move. Not to judge you. Not to smack you up if you step out of line. He, he's watching so that fruitfulness will come. And sometimes in our lives we are going through things that maybe are difficult, might be a bit painful. But it's in the end going to develop good fruit. And we have to trust God in those moments. Maybe you're in one now. Not of your own doing, but it seems to be circumstances. And you might have shaken a fist before God and said, God, where are you? And maybe he's exactly where he needs to be. He's developing fruit. In order for your fruit to go, he's got to get involved. And his getting involved is requiring some pruning, some repositioning, some work in your life and in my life. And it can be uncomfortable and unsettling, but he knows what he's doing. Trust him. Now, if you're, 
if you stepped out of the will of God and you're doing your own thing and you're reaping your own consequence, your consequences of your own behavior, that's a different story. But considering that, as we talk about, if you remain in him, then he is developing your fruit. And so the first part, he is observing, he's peeking, he's checking you out at regular intervals of your growth. Now, I'm going to quote from a famous person. His name is Pastor Brett Webster. And this past week, we were in a school of, school of discipleship, and he said something. We were talking about this and that, and he made this comment, something to this effect. He said, it's not about the destination, it's about the navigation. And I looked over and said, who are you quoting? He said, well, I came up with that. I'm still not 100% sure he did because it was just too good. And so if you want to quote it, you've got to get permission. I don't even know if I got permission. Everyday navigation. Everyday, God is interested. Yes, in the destination, absolutely. But he's interested in today. Very interested in today, October the 18th. He's very interested in how you're doing. And he's very interested in October the 19th, how you're doing. And October the 20th, which is a great day, 36 years ago, thank you, Lori and I be wedded. Just needed to check my facts on that one. He's peaking. Thank God he is. And he's pruning and preparing you to be the absolute best fruit. That's the first thing I want to share. Let's go to the next one, verse 8. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Number two, how God views fruitfulness. He understands what is best. We don't. Okay, the vine doesn't know what best is required to make it the best. The gardener does. So you have to trust that to the gardener. Uh, imagine going to a farm, and you ask the farmer for a Cob of corn that you can enjoy, a nice cob of corn. I don't know if you enjoy corn. I do. I enjoy corn on the cob. We enjoy it. And so you ask the farmer, I, can, can I have a cob of corn? The farmer says, yes. And off into the field he goes to get a cob of corn for and you're just mm, salivating. You're thinking about you maybe going to put it in boiling water. You're going to get it ready. You're going to have a cob of corn. Or maybe you're going to put it on the barbecue and just turn it just right. And it splash some butter, get some salt on it. Oh, and you're just excited about it. And the farmer comes back, and he has a bunch of leaves, and he has a, a pile of the stock, and he's smashed down, and he gives you some leaves and stock and says, here you go. Who of you wouldn't be really disappointed? Because you asked for a cob, and you got a bunch of leaves and stalks. Our Heavenly Father doesn't do that. He knows what's the best fruit. But here's the point. Often we are investing in the leaves and the stalks. You see, the leaves is what you see from the road. You've driven by, Lori and I went out to the valley yesterday, the Hockley Valley, went through the Hockley Valley. We hiked through the monocliffs and the switchback and stuff. Gorgeous. So many people there, they were backed up over a mile to get in to the trail. And, and it was just beautiful. But when we were driving, getting there, we were driving by field upon field of corn, and that, that particular corn will be cattle corn like what we did, uh, where you take it when it's brown and it, it's not so luscious, it's, it's dried, and you can put it in your silos. And, uh, you know, you see the corn on the fields, and you see the big stalks, you see the lusciousness, but really what matters is, is those cobs when it comes to eating the fruit of the corn stalks. And in this passage, the call here is the farmer needs to entrust the fruit-bearing, God is interested in fruitfulness. And here's the thing. 
fruitfulness in the kingdom of God has to do with Isaiah 32, verse 17. It says, the fruit of righteousness will be peace. The effect of righteousness will be quietness and confidence forever. Hosea 10, 12 speaks of that the fruit is unfailing love. Sometimes we think the fruit's something else, but the fruit is ultimately character, character development. And God is very much after, how is your character being developed? Because we can have other things going on in our life. We th- might think the fruit of, fruit of life is how much money you have. Or the fruit of living is, ha- are you in a place of authority? Are you, are you the top dog in your business? Or maybe you feel the fruit is if you are um, in a position of uh, recognition and fame or posture. You are the best athlete. You are the best this. You are recognized as this. But that might not be the fruit at all. God's more interested in what's going on inside you. Because what's going on inside you is ultimately going to affect what comes on the outside. And so we can put all the stuff on the exterior and what we look in the homes and the cars and the clothing and all the things around us, but that's not what God is looking at. You see, the gardener understands what real fruit is and what fake fruit is. And real fruit is character. Note what he said here. The fruit of righteous living. Are you living right? Now, only you can answer that. Because you can put on a facade for the people around you. But the real you are those maybe closest to you. And certainly you can't fool God. Righteous living. And out of that will come peace. There will be a tranquility. There will be a sense of, of peace when people are around you. It says then the effect of righteousness will be quietness and confidence. You won't have to be loud or boisterous. You won't have to be one who takes it by force. But your quietness will speak volumes. The meek will inherit the kingdom. Quietness will speak volumes. And confidence, not up and down and back and forth. You don't know yet. You're afraid of what kind of mood are you in today. But confidence in the Lord. Hosea speaks of unfailing love. You know, love today is often conditional. It's based on, you know, if everything's going your way, if you're getting what you want. But that, no, no, unfailing love. That's his love to me, and that's the love that flows out. That's the fruit he's after. That's the character he's developing in us. See, the gardener, a true farmer, understands what the fruit, the vine doesn't know. The stock doesn't know what the fruit is, and we frequently need to let him develop that fruit in our lives. Number three, I want to talk about unproductive fruit, and this comes back to verse six. John 15, six, it says, if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. Kind of a grim picture. Jesus, after describing himself as the vine, his father, the gardener, He drives home the point here by saying the Father cuts off everything unfruitful in the branch. Now, you got to pick up on this. I shared last week, there's a difference between being a part of the human family that God created and being a child of God. There's a difference. We need to know that. There are people who have mixed up, and preachers and pastors and, and teachers in seminaries who have not got this right. We need to go back to what the scripture says. We are part of God's created family, every one of us in the human race, but we are not all children of God. Children of God, you have to be adopted into the family. And you are adopted when you surrender your life to the lordship of Jesus Christ. It's called born again. Then you are children of God. It's not automatic. You're part of the 
general family of humankind in his likeness and his image, but then he offers you the gift of salvation to be a child of God. And in that, we come into his family and celebrate his family. We celebrated it this morning in the first service. We had a water baptismal service. and We celebrated the gift of life into the family of God. And we sing the song, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. Talked about all that last week. That is the gift of life into God's family. Having said that, but if you pull away from the vine, it's only as you remain into the vine. If you pull away from the vine, it's a whole different story. And that's what he's saying. Verse 6, if you do not, if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away, withers, such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. Now, he goes to describe five things that happen to the branch. Did you note that? Verse 6, cut off and thrown away, withers, picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. But seriously, of all those five, the only one that really matters is the first one. If you're cut off. If you're cut off, the rest really don't matter. You see, everything... If we're going to be growing in Christ, everything is contingent upon remaining in the vine. If you don't remain in the vine, the rest of it doesn't really matter. If you're cut off, it's done. If you're cut off, it's over. If you're severed, the other's just a matter of time. You got to remain in the vine. You got to remain in the vine. The whole thing comes down to this. In order to be fruitful, you have to be 100%, not 90, 80, 95, 100% connected to the vine. Two words that come out here. He starts the first one. He says, if you remain. The word if. Five times in these verses, he uses over and over the word if. If, if, if. You, well, if he uses it that many times, he's serious about the word if. If allows no room for maybe. It's conditional. It's a choice. You have a choice if you remain, but it leaves the choice you a choice. If you do not, then you've made a choice as well. If you remain. If we do not choose to remain in the vine and be fruitful, we can't choose then to have the benefits of what the vine offers. It just can't happen. If you're cut off, then you've cut off yourself from that vine. There are many today who hope God's grace will extend beyond their selfishness and override the consequences of their choice. But it doesn't. When I was growing up in the farm, I had chores. And I was the only boy, my parents, uh, and so I had a fair share of chores. Now, when we're talking farm chores, we're not talking making your bed in the morning, vacuuming the floor once a week, and putting the dishes in the dishwasher. Okay? We're talking chores. Chores on the farm usually entailed all of that, plus you had a lot of cattle. We had cattle, uh, we had five stall operation, and so twice a day you had to milk the cows, and that was a family endeavor that we would be involved in milking, but it's just not milking cows. It's about getting machines ready. Then it's about cleaning up afterward. In a dairy farm, you can imagine there's a lot of cleanup taking place to keep the bacteria low. Tons of cleanup. Clean, clean, clean. Everything had to be immaculately clean. And then there, you had all the cattle, and we were in a, a freehold part of the barn where the cattle laid down. So you had to go out, and you had to move manure from one side to the other. I'm not going to explain it because it's too gross right before lunch. But then you had to bed down the cattle because they'd sleep there. And so we'd have... Uh, uh, cut up straw, and we had bales of straw. We had to pour them down. We'd have piles of them. You had to shake them around so you could lay down 
better part of altogether about 60 to 100 between cows and heifers and, and calves. Then you had to feed all the calves, and the calves, that was the whole thing. Calves by nature drink with their heads up, you know, the udder thing, right? That's, they pull down their heads up. When you give them a pail of milk, the pail's down. They have to drink up instead of drinking down. So the first thing a calf does when you give them a pail, and you often you stick your fingers, a lot of fun. Stick your finger in the mouth because they like to suck. And so you get it, you straddle the calf, heads here, pails here. I don't even ever seen this, I'm sorry. And, and you stick your finger in their mouth and they start sucking. And then you shove it into the pail so they can start to draw up the milk. But instinctively, naturally, the calf wants to go up. And you can imagine what happens to the pail of milk. So this happens over and over again. It is a rip. That was my chores. And so you had to train those calves to drink down instead of drinking up because it doesn't work well with pails. You had to bed them. Then you had to feed them. We had a couple silos. And so the silos, you had to run the silage. It comes through augers. The augers drop it into mangers. It piles up. You take the mangers. You spread the stuff. And then you drop bales of hay down. You break, break open the, strip, the binder twine. You open up the bales and they have the bales of hay. And you're doing all that while heads are in the manger bunting you. And so you're bedding them. You're preparing. You have to milk. The milking just in itself is an hour and a half to an hour and 45 minutes. Just milking twice a day. Just the milking, let alone the feeding, the calves, everything else. Now you're getting a lesson from the son of a farmer. Those were my chores. Forget beyond just make my bed, vacuum, and put the dishes in the dishwasher. Those were the chores. But here's the thing. I know you're going to find this hard to believe, but I like to goof off. And I would like to goof off and not do everything, but still get the benefits of being all the things being done. Because there were benefits, and the benefits weren't monetary. If you thought that we got rich, we got 50 cents a week. So yeah, you know, it took a long time in order to get anything with 50 cents a week. No, the benefits were the other things. You're on a farm. I mean, you, you got the world at your disposal. I was 11 years old, and I made my first dune buggy out of a Volkswagen. <laughs> a lifetime. I was, I was just a couple years later, I had my own motorcycles, and then, and, and then snowmobile. Those were my benefits. But I could not enjoy the benefits if I didn't do the chores. See, here's the problem. They were my choice. I wasn't made to do it. But benefits came as a result of what I chose to do. Now, you get that. So here's the point. When it comes to, he says, if you remain, your choice, if you remain, if you remain, you will get the benefits of what the vine offers. It's like the benefits I would get on the farm. They were great benefits. But if I choose to goof off, if I choose to do something else, then I can't reap the benefits. Why is it we have a tendency we think we should have the benefits and we argue we should have the benefits as our right when we haven't been faithful to the choices we've made? Hmm. If you remain in me, he says, if you remain in me. Lori and I, uh, our first church we were in, we inherited a, a, a vine. Uh, it was the third house we lived in, the first church. We had three, moved a lot. And so the third house we were in, we inherited a vine. And uh, we didn't know anything about how to look after it. So in the second year of the grapevine, uh, we noticed that some of the lower hanging branches dropped these little things into the ground. We didn't really pay a whole lot of attention to it. It's just little tiny branches into the ground. Third year, we noticed, oops, there's a problem. We began to inquire and ask questions. We realized what just happened. What happened? They dropped them. When they got near the dirt, they dropped these little sucker branches in, and they began to draw up nourishment. Instead of coming from the main vine, 
they were drawing it off of these little suckers going into the ground. And here's what happened. Right around them, the leaves were nice and green. So we thought it was doing great. But the grapes kept getting smaller every year because it was illegitimate source. And so it was drawing up and it was an illegitimate source. And so it was not going to the grapes. It was going to the leaves around that little drop. And a matter of three to four years, the vine was almost done. It was almost dead because nothing went very little. All illegitimate sources. And I discovered something in the grapes, but it's true in life, is it not? That we begin to, if we're not careful, if we don't get it from the true legitimate source, it's a choice. If you remain in me, he says, if you choose to get from the other sources, what are the other sources? Maybe the source you're drawing from is, they've noticed in pandemic days that we're eating more. Maybe we're just indulging in satisfying ourselves that needs to be the Lord, but we're indulging in maybe food. Some of the things that are happening, entertainment has gone like through the roof. And so we're absorbed in entertainment, absorbed in gaming, absorbed in media, absorbed. In, and so what we're doing, dropping a root down. But guess what? The fruit's not growing though because it's growing something else. And it's developing and maybe we look okay for a while. But the fruit, the character fruit's not being developed. Because if you remain in the vine... The results are good. But if you don't, if you drop some suckers somewhere else, if you're drawing it from other sources, and there's so many different other sources that it can be entertaining, it can be abusing drugs, it can be with alcohol, it can be overdosing, it can be with recreation, it can be whatever. Put that in there. And when your roots dig into them, eventually you'll be cut off from Christ because there's nothing left of the fruit. Uh Therefore, if a man, if a person remains in me and I in him, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. The last part, so if, if is so important. The second part, do you know that? If you remain, the word remain. Everybody say remain. Now, I want to give another son of a farmer story. We had border collies. Only ever one border collie at a time. We had border collies. They're the little black and white dogs. And they're known to be sheep dogs, but they're great cattle dogs too because their nature if you've seen them work on maybe on tv or on social media you see them come up behind and then they crouch and then run up behind and crouch and run up behind okay that's a well-trained dog and we would train our dogs but our dogs were a little bit of independent spirited and so on the farm um naturally speaking border collies like most dogs border collies love to chase things and get them running full speed our dogs would chase squirrels, and they just loved to watch squirrels, squirrels run crazy-like to get away. They would chase uh, cats like that. They would chase rabbits, and the rabbits would be in full flight. They like to chase things and have them run. And left to themselves, they will chase cows. But that's a no-no. You see, you can chase steers. doesn't matter if steers run full speed. doesn't matter if heifers run full speed. Cows are not to run. Think about it for a second. Half of them are pregnant. And, the, and even all of them virtually are carrying milk, a lot of it. They're off balance by their milk supply. Now, the last thing you want them to do is run because running endangers them. The dogs don't know that. We know that. The cows don't even know that. So here's what would happen. We'd have the border collies, and they were, they were trained. They were good. We would, but we had to go to the field with them. And when we would call the cows in twice a day in the six months during the summertime, when we would call the cows in, the, the dogs would do their thing. But here's the, here's the thing. We noticed this. 
If the dog got distanced from us, it tended to listen less to us. And so the dog would want to run the cows. Now, if the dog was close, we'd just say, stop. And the dog would go and posture. But the farther the dog got away from the master, the more the dog was tempted to not listen. Now, here's a story. You know where I'm going. It's so true with people. If we don't remain close to God, that's through daily, regular discipline. If we don't remain close, the farther we get away, the more you will be tempted not to listen. And so when it comes to your reading, maybe we need to come back to the place of that daily reading again. My school of discipleship, we started just a couple of weeks ago in John, the Gospel of John, where the book we're in today, chapter one, and just read a chapter a day, two chapters a day. Take time, pray over those chapters. Get your heart established back where you remain close to him. Because if closer you are to him, the more you will listen, the more you will grow to be like Christ. But honestly, you drift away. You take that for granted. Guarantee, all of us, all of us, myself included, temptation will be too great for you. You don't listen to the master's voice. Just like our border collies. We had to get close to them. And then they were good. But if they got too far away, they would run the cattle. He says, if you remain, if, choose, remain, stay close in him. And you will be productive. As we close this morning, I want to take these simple lessons of growing in Christ to heart. Can we start now? Can we start today? Can we just maybe up it a degree? Oh God, today, I need to put the principles here of what it means that he's observing my life and in his observation, maybe he's made some things, he's moving some things around. Let him, let him prune you. Let him position you. Not everything is to go from day to day to day to better, to better, to better. Sometimes I have to go through some tough things in order for him to bear fruit that I didn't even know I needed. But I trust him. Maybe you're there and you just need to say, God, I'm just going to embrace you in the middle of my storm. Maybe it has to do with just repositioning yourself because he knows the fruit you need. He understands what has to come out. We don't. But we trust him. Let that fruit come out. And it's character. Look for the character of peacefulness. Look for the character of quietness and confidence and unfailing love. The things that he wants to grow righteousness in us. But let's not forget that it's in the place of if Choose to remain in him. What have I been choosing that is drawing me away? And there's all kinds of stuff around us. We are in a place, somebody described temptation as having options. We have so many options instead of just one true vine. But if we choose those options, then we no longer begin to produce the fruit of looking like the sun. And let's stay close. Let's get close so that we can grow in him. Thanks for listening to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. Remember to subscribe. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit auroracornerstone.ca.